Saints, I want to emphasize that we're in this time here for a couple more weeks, and then the first Sunday in July, we're going, moving our adult Sunday school to 8.30 and our worship service to 9.15. So in that particular Sunday, we're going to um, honor Wes Gable. Dr. Gable is going to be retiring the last of the month in his first available Sunday. He asked if he could be, be with us, be with us, and I said, sure, fine. And then I thought about it for a while, and I said, let's honor him by retirement. We want to welcome all those by way of television to all of it, United Methodist Church. Um, we may be small in numbers, but we're big, big on quality. One of the very few remaining churches that has a television ministry of, that encompasses some music and scripture and in sermon, um, we follow the Wesleyan standard of scripture, first tradition, reason, and experience, and we follow Wesley's principles. And again, we welcome you. It's a true honor to be able to come into your homes. If there's any particular number that you would um, sung during our worship service, do let us know. Our opening um, hymn this morning is Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And um, we've dedicated this to Ethel and Gary. Now, Gary is turning. He's, he's running the, the big camera. And he's turning to a very significant birthday, isn't it? Is it the big 7-7? Seven, seven? Is he? It's seven, 77. And that guy, he doesn't look a day, day older than 76. So he's got his genetics of his mother. And his mother lived to be, I believe, 94. So, so. Again, we welcome you by way of television this morning. Our opening hymn is Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And Ethel Demery, Ethel Demery is going on 101. And she sends her greetings and her love to all the United Methodists. Purple hymnals, number 64, please. 
Before we turn to our praise song, if you just turn over a few pages to page 69, page 69, and let us pray his prayer on page 69. Glorious God, source of joy and righteousness, enable us as redeemed and forgiven children evermore to rejoice in singing your praises. Grant that what we sing with our lips, we may believe in our hearts. And what we believe in our hearts, we may practice in our lives, so that being doers of the word and not hearers only, we may receive everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us turn now to our hymn of praise, There is a Redeemer. Red praise number 56, please.
that our scripture lesson is taken from Mark 14. So if you're listening by way of television or radio or other means of communication, we're going to be dealing with Mark chapter 14, 12 through 16, and verses 22 through 26. I'm going to ask this one. Father, as we uh, hear those praise reports, we thank you for Reverend Groves' life, Charles, doing well, and Michelle, Chris Larson's Daughter is doing well. We ask favorably for our beloved nation. Seems like our beloved nation is melting down. The jet setting of traditional Judeo-Christian values has seemed to erupt at warp speed. Such lying, such corruption, such deception, such betrayal and greed are becoming the norm. Fear and rage and lawlessness, murder, suicides, drug, and alcohol abuse seems out of control. In the signs the Bible gives which characterize the last generation of human history are warning indicators. Just as within our cars, there are sensors, dummy lights that remind us of warnings to our car systems. Could it be that our world is un coming under God's final judgment? If so, then the time before Jesus returns for his followers is running out. How then shall we live? It's critical that we be about our Father's business, according to Matthew chapter 24, 46. First and foremost, you and I, as followers of Jesus, need to know what we believe. Then we need to be willing to stand up for what we believe and to speak out about it. The Apostle Paul wrote the Roman believers with a deep sense of conviction. He says, I am not ashamed. May we not be ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, according to Romans 1.16. We may ask, what is the gospel? Summarize the gospel as God's word. For everyone born into the human race is born 
with sin nature so that all sinners, Romans 2, chapter 2, verse 23 reminds us, and the consequences of sin is not only physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God now and throughout eternity, according to Romans 6.21. We're reminded, for God so loved the entire world of humanity that God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to die as his toning sacrifice for our sins, so that whosoever believes in him will not perish be separated from God, but will have eternal life, John 3, 16. And when we confess that we are sinners, we ask God to apply the death of Jesus to our sin and forgive us. He will, according to 1 John chapter 1, 9, and Ephesians 1, 7. And following the crucifixion of Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead to give us new life here and life in heaven when we die, according to Romans 8, 11. And when we respond and receive Jesus by faith into our hearts, Jesus comes into us in the person of his spirit so that we are born again as children of God, forgiven our sins, and we receive eternal life, according to John 1, 12, and Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, 1 Timothy 1, 16, and 1 John chapter 5, 11 through 13. And when we claim Jesus Christ by faith as our Savior and our Lord, we, we pass from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, from death to life. According to Acts chapter 26, 18, and 1 John 3, 14, and Romans 8, 10. And the gospel is this, that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to us by which we must be saved, just the name of Jesus in Acts 4, 12. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For it is with our heart that we believe and are justified, and it is with our mouth that we confess and are saved, Romans 10, 9-10. And there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, according to Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. And so, do Jews need to be saved? Do Muslims also need to be saved? Do Russians and Iranians and Chinese and Spanish need to be saved? Yes, they do, according to God's word. Whatever their religion is or is not, no one is exempt from, from being a sinner. Each one of us needs a savior, which is why God has given Jesus to be the savior of the world, according to 1 John 4, 14. And yet, how can they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless you and I tell them the good news that God loves them, according to Romans 10, 14. That regardless of what happens, they can have peace in their hearts at present and hope for the future. And that's the gospel that Paul was talking about, and that's the gospel they proclaim. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness that unto all nations, and they then shall the end come. We ask, O oh Lord, your blessing upon the scripture this morning. We thank you for the, the hearts that have been touched, 
through our ministry by way of television and radio and YouTube and other means. We thank you, O Lord, for your healing hand upon the Woods family, as we've said, we'll see you later, Joyce. We pray all this in thy name as you've taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you're joining us by way of television, our scripture lesson is Mark 14, verses 12 through 16, and 23 through 26. May God bless the, the reading and hearing of his word today. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, his disciples said, where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he went out and he sent out two of his disciples saying to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the owner, of the house. The teacher, the teacher asks, where is my guest from where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. Mark chapter 14, verses 22-26 and he institutes the Lord's Supper and while they were eating he took a loaf of bread and after blessing it he broke it and gave it to them and said take this is my body then he took a cup and after giving thanks he gave it to them and all of them drank from it and he said to them this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then they, and when they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. God bless the reading and the hearing of his word today. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Our scripture started out today on the day before the Passover. Normally the Jewish people would kill the sacrificial lamb that afternoon and prepare for the meal that night. They, they were probably still in Bethany when the disciples ordered to go and make Passover preparations. That explains them finding room in Jerusalem so Jesus and his disciples would observe the Passover. Jesus knew he would die as the Passover sacrificial lamb so he prepared to, on the afternoon the day before on the day of Feast of Unleavened Bread. That day he would be able to eat with his disciples the Passover meal. Jesus made preparations because he knew that they were seeking to kill him. The disciples asked Jesus where the Passover meal was to be held. Part of this, Jesus sent two unnamed, well, Mark didn't name them, disciples without other disciples knowing of the plan 
for the location of the meal, find the location of the meal. Out of security from Judas, they were the only, these two disciples were the only two that knew the plan. Luke chapter 22, verse 8, identifies these two men as Peter and John. This confidentially ensured Judas would not be aware of the plans before they held the meal. So Jesus sent these two disciples to the city to find and follow a man, unusually carrying a pitcher of water. They were to follow that man in that household. He told them that the house would lead them to a large furnished upper room, and that's where they would prepare and have the Passover meal. I said the word unusual here because it was unusual for man to be carrying a pitcher of water. Men in that culture normally carried the water in animal skins containers. It is also unusual that this house had an upper room. That was not the norm in Jerusalem in those days. Most of the houses in Jerusalem were small one-story buildings. This suggests that the, the owner of that house had some standing in the community and church. On to Mark chapter 14, verse 22 to 26. Now we believe, as Christians, that the blood and the body that we consume during communion are metaphorical, of course. It is a way for us to metaphorically ingest and digest the truth of the Lord's sacrifice on the cross. Communion is a covenant between those that partake in it and God. Something about covenant, so it's not just a promise. It's an unbreakable contract. A covenant is never to be taken lightly or dismissed. Not only is it taken as a memory of the ultimate sacrifice Jesus provided for all of us on the cross, but as a foretaste of the meal we will all share with Jesus after we arrive in heaven. The mention of the Mount of Olives in their last verse is interesting because Passover participants were expected to remain in Jerusalem for the night after the Passover. At Passover, a huge size, more than Jerusalem could handle, went to the city. And religious authorities had okayed and made an exception saying that guests could stay on the Mount of Olives to accommodate the crowd. So they, they were allowed to stay on the Mount of Olives, which is usually, you can't sleep on the Mount of Olives. Thank you. Thank you, sir. One of the things that has stuck with me, one of the profound things, kind of examine your heart and your life, and you remember maybe being to church for the first time or so and hearing words shared. I probably was only like five or um, six years old. It was probably 65 years ago, but it seems like yesterday. And, and I think the minister, well, I know the minister was talking about you and I being, once we accept Christ, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that stuck with me. And I imagine myself of being a temple of the Lord Jesus Christ all through sports and all through the decisions and the choices that I made in, in high school and 
in college, in seminary. I always wrote down certain things that I desired in life, certain relationships that I desired in life. And I always wanted the recipient to be touched by the Spirit of God and imagine their bodies, their bodies as the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Several years ago, one of the big daily newspapers ran a thought-provoking column about religion in, you know, religious holidays and secular holidays. They contrasted the difference between religious holidays like Memorial Day and <clears throat> Easter and Christmas and secular holidays. And the writer found that both were losing their meaning. That people weren't coming out from Memorial Day services. They were celebrating their freedoms and their ability to sleep in rather than observe military holidays and other events. And he said that it appears to be simply going through the motions of the days of their religious and in their secular, secular festivals. And then I, through the years, as I've gone to Memorial Day services for probably almost 70 years, my parents used to take me, even before I understand the significance of patriotic holidays. And I remember going to cemeteries and people honoring the dead that made the ultimate sacrifice of their life for my liberty and pursuit of happiness. He says we appear to be simply going through the motions and on the days of our religious and our secular festivals. And then within the church, it seemed like Easter was the day when we got our new wardrobe and our shirts and our shoes. Growing up, I had very few shirts and very few pairs of pants and shoes. <clears throat> and more and more, we've, we're becoming a, a fragmented people, withdrawn from one another, isolated from one another, and you can't celebrate a festival alone. I've held my class together for the last 50 years by always having a reunion every five years. I've instigated that and it's become more difficult as her parents have died off and my parents are the only, my mother is the only remaining parent of my classmates and it seems like every one of my classmates, their landlines, they don't utilize their landlines anymore and they've switched their cell phones and it's very difficult to get in touch every five years. We've become withdrawn from one another, we've become isolated from one another and, and it's very difficult for us to celebrate our activities. To which we might add, you can't celebrate God's gift of life alone which affects the community of the faith, where Jesus says, forsake ye not the assembling of one another together, for as you see the day coming, the end of times. That's why it's so significant that we not only look at our biological family, but we look at our spiritual family, we look at our eternal family, and there's probably very, very few of us, more so in this congregation that are my age or older that 
see the value of a sense of community, see the value of a church and regularly worshiping together. You can't celebrate God's gift of life alone. It's very difficult to do it on the end of a dock or on the golf course. And you can't celebrate together if you are detached, if you're detached from your roots. Fortunately, J-Hop and, and the new substance or the new gathering that's coming here, and we're going to be worshiping on Sunday morning. That's why our times are shifting. Our Sunday school class will be meeting at 8.30, and our worship will be at 9.15, so we can allow them to get in here after we conclude our worship service at 10.15, and they can put their musical instruments and their, their screens and as they gather, and we probably would, would have went under a long time ago if it hadn't been for Jay Hop and the ability to rent out. And my passion, my drive is to continue to sustain those by way of television, also on radio. My techie, Robin, says we get a lot of hits on Facebook and Rumble and all kinds of various news media and television ministry. It's not only this congregation that's affiliated with Christ and community that we, we provide. But in our individual, in our individual and in our community life, both if we are to experience wholeness, wholeness, and we need to be in constant touch with our roots. What would be your roots? For John Wesley and the Wesleyan Society, a number of years ago I was chosen as one minister among probably four or 500 in the state of Minnesota to represent Methodism because I had contacts with evangelism and I had closeness with the bishops. And Bishop Emerson Cola nominated me for the commission of chaplaincy and nominated me to represent evangelism. And I attended and represented the state of Minnesota among many states. Both if we are to experience wholeness and a true sense of purpose and a sure sense of direction, we need to be in constant touch with our roots, which is scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Say it with me. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And I've made my judgments on this temple, and the believers do their adherence. You know, Wesley considered it the quadrilateral theology of scripture, tradition, reasoning, and experience that we should make all our discernments and our judgments and our decisions by scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And one of the ways in which our God nourishes us is, is through our roots, our, our heritage, and our, our traditions. The great, gracious God who created us has given us this sense of continuity, continuity, that the past, the present, and the future flow into one another. I've seen what I consider, what Randy Tabor considers a disintegration within the United Methodist Church over my nearly almost 60 years of going to annual conferences as a, as a page in high school and representative of lay delegate and youth. Certainly in the last few years, in just this last annual conference, where the leader, the leader of worship, as they brought together all the ministers and all the lay delegates, 
from the state of Minnesota had it transsexual, leading worship. Now, I don't go out of my way to talk about sexuality because whenever it comes up, it normally comes up as a question or a response. And I've moved from a sense of, when I say offense, the strength of sharing Christ and the great commission of sharing Christ to almost a position of defense, defending the gospel and the truths of scripture, tradition, and reason and experience to this day. That the great gracious God who created us has given us a sense of continuity, but there's been a spirit of discontinuity, a spirit of disassociation and disaffiliation from the Methodist Church. My techie Robin has told me that I've been somewhat removed from some of the Facebook abilities because we supposedly ponder the, the hate messages. No, we just present the gospel. I just represent the gospel of Christ. I just imitate Christ. I try to imitate Christ and project Christ from the pulpit. The past, the present, and future flow into one another. We need to rediscover, discover many of us, that a lively hope for our future is, is rooted in our past. We as a people, irregardless of our age, are called to be a sense of community, a, a sense of church. We're constantly in need of the, the nourishment that's provided by the church and by the Bible and by the community of encouragement. I was involved in all sports in high school and college, and, and I served under godly coaches that saw fit that I was at every practice. And I've tried to carry that over in my church life. I, I feel that if you're on a winning team in sports, you need to be on a winning team in, in church. You put, need to put church as your highest of high priorities. The church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1, that I praise you because you always remember. You remember me and, and are holding fast to the traditions, the traditions that I handed down to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus and his 12 apostles, they gather. The church that's going to be sharing our premises are, are called the gathering, and it's after this verse. Jesus and his 12 apostles, they gathered together for the Passover meal. Together they were, they were carrying on a tradition that was rooted and grounded in this religious history that goes all the way back to the beginning, to the, the story of creation. And as they were eating, Mark tells us, Jesus took the bread, and when he had said the blessing, he, he broke the bread and he gave it to them. And he said, take eat, he said, this is my body. Then he took the cup and, and when he had returned, he thanks, returned thanks, he gave it to them and, and all drank from it. And he said to them, this is the blood, the blood of the covenant. Now this could be a kind of a communion or a world day communion 
message too, but it's, it's getting back to the fact that you and I are the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to make every decision in how we can honor a minister within the United Methodist Church that's openly gay, openly talks about his partner, participates in sexual activity, our life is called to be a people. Our life is called to be a church. It's rooted in that Last Supper tradition and to be true to our heritage, we disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ must continue together. I'm often asked, what would you do if your child were to say that they had an alternate sexual experience? I, I would certainly love them, but I couldn't reconcile their activities if they view themselves as a temple of the Lord Jesus Christ outside of the Christian tradition of scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, the community, the community that drinks from that same cup, a husband and a, a wife went fishing together one afternoon. And as they prepared to cast their lines into the stream, the husband said very excitedly, did you see that, that big, big swirl, that big swirl? That's one of those big fish out there. And with that, he tossed his line out in the direction of the uh, swirl, the swirl he had seen and he waited, but nothing happened. And suddenly he said it again, did you see that, that big, that big swirl? And again, the line went out, but nothing happened. And after a few more big swirls, it was followed by a few more failures, the wife called over to her husband, look, look, she said, pointing towards the last big swirl. Do you see what I see? And what they, they saw gliding by in the water was a big, big swarm of tiny, tiny minnows, newly hatched, all together, creating those big swirls. Continuity. Continuity and fulfillment is a persistent New Testament theme. We are called to be born again, not of this world. We're called to be born of the Spirit. We are called to be a temple filled with God's Holy Spirit. And as we are born again, to use Jesus' own words, we are newly hatched, newly hatched, so to speak, and when we identify as disciples of Jesus Christ with the very roots in our scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, when those first disciples created such big swirls, big swirls, that they were credited with turning the world upside down, I feel we failed to realize that we are the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have failed to witness and invite people to church, a 16th century legend. 16th century legend has it that Francis de Sales was approached by a woman who, who asked this Catholic priest, is it a sin? Is, is it a sin for women to use rouge? Rouge? And to which the 16th century Catholic saint replied, well, some theologians and Bible scholars consider it 
a sin. Others disagree and say it's all right for a woman to wear makeup and rouge. And Francis smiled and he said, why not follow, why not follow the middle course and only use rouge and makeup on one cheek? Now when it comes down to, the, to us as newly, newly hatched disciples of Christ, rooted and grounded in the, in the Bible and tradition and reason and experience, as the first disciples were, there is no middle course. Too many Christians want to ride the fence. In the tradition of the apostles, we are called to, to prophesy for God, to share and witness for Christ. In the tradition of the apostles, we are called to live our lives in imitation of Christ. Imitation of Christ. Say it with me. Imitation of Christ. In the tradition of the apostles, we are called to be fools. Fools, for Christ's sake, in Paul's words. There is a line in the film Zorba, Zorba the Greek, which echoes those words of St. Paul, where Zorba says, in order to be alive, in order for us to be alive, we need to have a, a touch of madness. A touch of madness. Many of us are so uptight, many of us are so folded away inside me, we're afraid of what people might think or might say that we would never be accused of having a touch of madness. Even in our love affair with God. You remember when your heart was strangely warmed with Christ or strangely warm for the, for the loved ones in your life, the desire you had for that special spouse, you had a desire to develop a family. Those desires, when you were probably touched with madness. The deep-rooted Christian disciple, we need a love, a love affair with God, a love affair with God. Many of us are so uptight, so folded away inside, so afraid of what people might think or say that we would never be accused of having a touch of madness, even in our love affair our love affair with God. The deep-rooted Christian disciple who is willing to stake everything on the love of God in Jesus Christ is always mad in this sense. The Bible says in the last days he'll raise up a peculiar people. And it won't necessarily be that they were a peculiar in the sense of the biblical or traditional reason or the experience sense, but they're peculiar because they represent themselves as Holy Spirit-inspired people of God. It takes a few special kind of foolishness to accept, to accept God's grace in a way that, that says, in imitation of Christ, I will respond by giving myself over totally to the ministry of the loving service to my heavenly, earthly, sisters and brothers, to make that leap into the arms of Jesus. There's no middle course. There's no middle ground. There was a pretzel stand. You know, I, I love pretzels. Anybody here hate pretzels? I think we're, we all love pretzels, right? And there was a pretzel stand in front of a big office building in 
New York City pretzels. Pretzels, 25 cents. They were big pretzels, read the sign. And one day a man came out of the building and saw a look of pain and frustration in the face of the old woman that was behind the, the pretzel stand. And whereupon he plunked down a quarter and then went on his way without taking, without taking a pretzel. And what happened, that happened every day. Every day he plunked down a quarter and he, he'd never take a pretzel. And finally the old woman running the stand spoke up and he said, Sir, sir, excuse me, may I have a word with you? And the man replied, I know, I know, I know. You're going to ask me why I give you a quarter every day and you don't take a pretzel. Not at all, not at all, the woman replied. I just wanted to tell you that the price is now 35 cents. The cost of Christian discipleship is going up. It's going up. There is no cheap grace. There never comes a time when you can say, enough, enough, I've done enough. I've done enough. In a sense, the price goes up every day of your life. Remember, for example, when the apostle Peter asked Jesus the number of times that he must forgive one's neighbor, and Jesus told Peter that the need to forgive was unlimited? No, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. It's kind of like it wasn't 490. It was like, like he kind of forgot. He forgot the fact of keeping track after so many times. It's when you're tempted to say, I've done enough. I've done enough that you realize as Christ's disciple that you need to do more. God did not put the treasure, the treasure of his Holy Spirit in a, a crushed proof, proof box. You're, you're not a crushed proof box, but in a fragile, fragile, earthly, earthly vessel that, that you and I are a part of. And if you agree to be one of the earthly vessels carrying the treasure of God's love around and sharing with others, you are bound to get cracked. You're, you're bound to get chipped, bound to get hurt, bound to be called upon to make sacrifices, sacrifices, imitators of Christ. What the world needs now from us is Christ, from you and I as Christ, the bread of life, we can't just talk about Christ, our bread, and then go out and live the kind of empty, destructive lives everyone else is living. We've got to reveal the integrity. I was a part of a group of officers throughout the United States that developed the Air Force theme some 30, 40 years ago. And I felt that integrity has to be first. And my three points which as adhered to in the Air Force currently is integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all things. During one of our last conversations with our son-in-law, who's an F-16 fighter pilot in Saudi, I asked him, have you been talking to the, the chaplains lately? And he said, oh yeah, I just talked with him the other day, and he asked me which was the greatest of the Air Force motto. Integrity first, 
service for, before self, or excellence in all things. Now, which would you say? Which would be the best? Integrity first, service for, for, before self, or excellence in all things. Chaplin said, I'm going to come back the following day, and I'm going to ask you what your decision is. Came back the following day, and, and they agreed that integrity had to be first. Because if you didn't have integrity, were you going to be putting service before self or excellence in all things? And we as Christians, we need, we need to put our integrity first. Our service before self and excellence in all things. We must be seen as a people who would never do anything to diminish another person's life. We must be seen as a people who will do and be everything in, that our money, our, our talents, our skills, just everything to enhance life, only to enhance life. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus said, then he took the cup, and when he had returned thanks, he gave it to them, and all drank from it. And through the gift of his body and blood, Jesus invites you and I into the supreme banquet of his new life. And if we are tempted to stand back from the table saying, not just now, Lord, you need only to get in close touch with the deep nourishing roots of Christian discipleship to, to hear the word answer, yes, now. We want now to drink of that cup filled to overflowing with love. And with every head bowed and every eye closed and Christians in prayer, those by way of television and other means of communication, may we repeat boldly a prayer of dedication and renewal. Let us pray together. Jesus, forgive my sins, the things I've done and left undone. Bring me integrity, service before self, excellence in all things. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me in Jesus' name. As the ushers come and wait upon you this morning for your tithes and offerings, would you turn with me to our offering to pray prayer printed in our bulletins, and let us pray together. Almighty God, who is both one and three, we praise you as God above. We bring our gifts to you in worship and gratitude as our creator and provider of all good things. We acknowledge that our relationship with you in all three persons begins and ends on your side of the equation, beginning with your devotion and not our own, beginning with your wisdom and not our own. We come into relationship resting on your grace, filled with love and not our own intermittent efforts to be faithful in our love for you. Bless these gifts we give and bless the transformational impact they might have. In your holy name we pray, amen. And many of you know the, the wife of Reverend Merle Harris, who pastored Grace a number of years ago. Marty Ide, father, Alberta passed away. She was 100 plus. We're dedicating this in her memory. Open my eyes that I may see purple hymnals number 454, please.
Would you be so kind to stand for the doxology? If you'd be so kind to turn over in your hymnals to page 456, a, a prayer for courage to do justice in your purple hymnals, 456, please, 456. And we are, as I mentioned earlier, our alternate worship service <coughs> will be starting <coughs> the 1st of July in order to exist as a church and provide ministry by way of television radio we're sharing our our premises with the gathering community church and they've chose 11 o'clock hour we need to be out by 10 15 so our sunday school will be at 8 30 and worship at 9 15. would you join me in the prayer at the bottom of page 456 please oh lord open my eyes that i may see the needs of others Open my ears that I may hear their cries. Open my heart so that they need not be without succor. Let me not be afraid to defend the weak because of the anger of the strong, nor afraid to defend the poor because of the anger of the rich. Show me where love and hope and faith are needed and use me to bring them to those places and to open my eyes and my ears that I may this coming day be able to do some work of peace for thee. So may the Lord continue to bless you all and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. Um, I've been going, working because I enjoy the work for a number of weeks without pay. We just want to try to get everything going strong here at the um, church. Um, the gathering church again will be with us. Um, Sunday, July 3rd, 3rd, that's at 11 o'clock. And our church service will be Sunday school at 8.30, worship service at 9.15. I know that requires a little bit earlier hour for you, George, to travel. But if you're like me, you've always got up a little early on Sunday mornings, regardless. Any other concerns that, um, that we need to clarify this morning. I see Gary and Kathy and Chris talking. No secrets in church. Okay. Is that possible for you to bring up one thing? I'd like to bring up a number of things. Okay. So Robin's coming. Any, anybody else have any um, comments? This goes to the ones at the Father Hemping. Um, gathering that was on um, Friday, the seven teenage kids that were asking questions to that street pastor, have those kids know that 
what he was talking about was real. Have those, seven, those kids, if you're listening, I hope everything that, I'm hoping you think about what was that because that stuff is the real deal. I'm hoping that you said that, I'm hoping that you get this message to let you know that yes, what, he, what was being said to you guys was real. Any questions or comments? Thank you, Robin. Chris, was there anything that was a little unclear about anything I said this morning? Anything unclear about what I said this morning? Sometimes my wife is my greatest critic. 